0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is your host with the motherfucking most, TJ Bowser, and joining me is my doppelganger kangabanga from down under, Mr. Brody Kane. G'day, g'day, my mates. Mr. Slicknick! Aloha, y'all. We got a doozy of an episode for you today. But first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody Kane,
1: how'd you do? Ooh, well, mate, where did we bloody begin? So this week, I think it was yeah, it was Thursday, the new Mortal Kombat film dropped down here in Australia. Thought I'd go and treat myself to a viewing, and fucking hell, I left the cinema very happy and pleased. Um, it had everything I wanted in a Mortal Kombat film. Um, the, uh, the fatalities were pretty fucking sick in this. Um, and as I've talked to you boys about this, it sounds biased to me saying this, but I thought Kano stole the show. Um, so yeah, went and saw that. Um, then, uh, yesterday I went back and watched it again and, uh, it, yeah, second viewing, um, just leading up to our, uh, show this week how we, uh, we're actually going to uh, review the film for MK fatality. Um, but yeah, other than that, just work. Flat out as always. Um, but yeah, just, just, yeah, fucking watching movies, mate. Watching this bloody great gem of a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slick Nick, what about your bloody self?
2: Oh, not a whole lot to say, really. i um, working from home a little bit a few days this week. Uh, the, the days that I have been going into the office, I've been using that new Cannibal Corpse album to deal with traffic once more now that I have to go back to it again. Uh, <laughs> so it helps it helps me not hate every other vehicle on the road next to me every day after work. So (laughs) that's nice. Um, Yeah, really not a whole lot. Uh, watching this movie, watching uh, probably a few others as well. Going back and rewatching some old ones from the 70s. Watching these got me in the mood for it. In fact, actually watching this got me in the mood to watch uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest since Nurse Ratchet's here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's about it. DJ, what about you? What you been up to?
0: We- I got some movies today. I ordered 1987's Blast Fighter from Roberto Bava and Dario Argento's Opera after giving into the fact that I will never get the three disc set from Scorpion releasing. I have been defeated. But anyway... watched Mortal Kombat today. Like Brody said, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, Left with blue balls like others will probably feel the same, but damn entertaining to say the least. Got a couple more podcasts to do this week, but you know, all in all, fucking good. Ready to do the season finale of Lights Camera Exploitation with you boys, especially on a film that's near and dear to our hearts, which is 1981 Strange Behavior, a.k.a. Dead Kids. This film is important for a multitude of reasons. One being the first boutique Blu-ray that I ever picked up at a convention, and two, being the film that brought Brody and I together and pretty much allowed for the existence of this f- podcast. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Tasty little gem this one was. I'd never, ever heard of it before until Mr. Bowser recommended it, and now we both have matching day bills, believe it or yes. not. Yes. Australian day bills. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's um, – and, and the, th- the other thing that really drew my attention to it, and we will elaborate on it, uh, but, was the American and Australian production on this film. Yes. Mm. So.
0: so let's talk about this week's film with 1981 Strange Behavior, a.k.a. Dead Kids.
3: Here in the peaceful Midwestern town of Galesburg, nothing much ever happens. Morning, Mr. McNally. The kids go to an ordinary college. However, this is an ordinary professor. He's dead. And they helped science with a few harmless experiments. Two sessions, two days, a hundred bucks a day. You always welcome the chance for new blood. They ah. killed little rabbits back there.
0: I tell you there was different parts of different bodies and different rooms. One nurse you couldn't find all the parts. Gotta make up kind of a composite of bits and pieces missing from all the other bodies.
3: John, do you want me to call Donovan? Do you want me to call the state police? Do you want me to call anybody?
2: Pete, stop the car. Just pull over. i find
3: out who did this, I swear to God. With this little pill, the world will be yours for the next few days.
0: From director Michael Laughlin. Is that how we're saying it? Laughlin? Laughlin. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> from direct <Loughlin>? from dire- <laughs> from director Michael Laughlin, who also did Strange Invaders in 1983 and Mesmerized in 1985. Writers Michael Laughlin and Bill Condon, who also directed Sister Sister in 1987. Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh in 1995 and Twilight Breaking Dawn Part One and Breaking Dawn Part Two in 2011 and 2012. Cinematographer Lou. Horvath who also worked with Al Adamson on Brain of Blood in 1971, Blazing Stewardesses in 1975, Black Samurai in 1976 and Uncle Tom's Cabin in 1977, Music by V. Tangerine Dream who also did Risky Business in 1983, The Keep in 1983, Firestarter in 1984 and Near Dark in 1987 Fucking solid, <laughs> solid resume right there Special effects by Kevin Chisnall Who also did Willow in 1988 And The Mechanic Resurrection in 2016 Budget $6.5 million Starring Michael Murphy As John Brady Who was also in Shocker in 1989 Batman Returns in 1992 and Private Parts in 1997 Baba Bowie. Louise Fletcher as Barbara Moorhead Who also was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975 Also in Star Trek Deep Space Nine From 1993 to 1999 And Cruel Intentions in 1999. Dan Shore as Pete Brady. You may know him from Tron in 1982. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in 1989. And Air Force One in 1997. Fiona Lewis as Gwen Parkinson. She is from The Fury in 1978. Strange Invaders in 1983. And interspace in 1987. Arthur Dignam as Dr. Lassange, who also starred in The Devil's Playground in 1976. Moulin Rouge in 2001. And Australia in 2008. How was that film?
1: Uh to be honest, I've only seen half of it and from what I've seen it's pretty average. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Day,
0: Day Young as Caroline and Rock and Roll High School in 1979, Spaceballs in 1987, and Pretty Woman in 1990. Mark McClure as Oliver Mayhoff, Superman in 1978, Back to the Future in 1985, and Zack Snyder's Justice League in 2021. Yes. Scott Brady as Shay, who's also from Cannon City in 1948, Johnny Guitar in 1954, and Gremlins in 1984. Charles Lane as Donovan in It's a Wonderful Life in 1946, The Music Man in and The Aristocrats in 1970. Brody, take it away.
1: Widow John Brady is the chief of police in a small town of Galesburg, Illinois, where he has lived most of his life. His only offspring, Pete Brady, is a bright high school senior. John has been in turmoil since the suspicious death of his wife, Catherine, years earlier, which he always believed had something to do with her boss, Dr. Lassange, who himself died shortly after Catherine's passing. Only recently has John and Pete home life gotten back on track with john dating barbara moorhead a waitress at the local hangout who has known john for some time john's life takes a turn for the worse when he has to investigate the brutal slashing murders of four townsfolk in four separate incidents a brief eyewitness statement to one of the murders before the eyewitnesses herself is murdered is the only substantive evidence however other three victims were the sons of longtime friends of his those three friends have a special connection to john's past as such he believes if the pattern holds true that pete may be the next intended target what john is unaware of is that pete who has been trying to earn a little extra money in the nearby galesburg college in the psychology department with mrs gwen parkinson is not the next target but the unwittingly has a connection to the next intended murder spooky stuff (laughs) It's a massive fucking <laughs> synopsis for- <laughs>
0: Well, you want it's you had to explain this film and that's the best way to fucking do it. I yeah, mean well, I agree. It's two like two concepts merged into one. Uh so yeah, there's a lot going on. It works though. It works really fucking well. It does. It does. <laughs> this movie sadly didn't win a lot of awards, uh or any at all that we could find. So uh <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Poor Laughlin. They want a place in our hearts and that's all that matters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I mean we're talking about it. Year, what almost what forty years later? So it's yeah. it did something, you know. Yeah. Fuck a day. So guys, let's get, physical. Physical, physical. I get, physical. Let's get into physical. Okay, so the definitive release is from seven films from March eleventh, twenty fourteen, and I got it on hand here. Here you guys go. Uh,
1: yeah. So Brody, you actually have a um, your own version of this film, huh? Yeah, so um I do write here.
0: Okay, so yours says dead kids as well.
1: Yeah. It's, it's released by Glass Doll Films. Now, I've never actually heard of this mob, but they've got some really tasty stuff in the extras on this film.
0: OK, so let's talk about The Severn release, and then we'll talk about yours, OK? Absolutely. So on The Severn release, you get an audio commentary with director, co-writer Michael Lachlan, and it's actually a phone call, and it's kind of hard to hear him in, in, at a, a couple of points. So maybe some of our notes, the, the names might not be spot on, so bear with us. Audio commentary with co-writer, associate producer Bill Condon, and actors Dan Short and Day Young. The effects of strange behavior, an interview with makeup effects artist Craig Reardon, which Brody loves, U.S. trailer, international trailer, currently on Amazon for $24.99 or directly from Seven for 20 bucks. Now, how does yours differ, Brody?
1: Well, the only thing that mine actually has that's uh, a little bit more than yours Mm -hmm. is that we actually get a uh, conversation with Dan Shaw, like an actual interview with him. Okay. And that interview um, isn't really the best because they're sitting in a park where there's a lot of noise happening in the background. Mm. But it is actually interesting to hear Dan talk about uh, working with Michael Laughlin on this. But pretty much everything else in the extras on this Blu-ray of mine is the same as yours. Okay. We just get that extra interview. That's all.
0: Now, the art, for the people, I know this is an audio-only podcast. Uh, but the artwork's different, vastly different. There's so many different versions of artwork for this film. Brody's is kind of like the the normal lo- Star Wars type. I was about head to say thing. it looks like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then mine's yeah, more uh, of a needle in the eye,
2: cringe type. Yeah, thing. yours hurts me to look at.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah <laughs> that scene was hard for me to watch too. It's just eyes, man. It's stuff with
1: eyes. Can't do it. I know your pain, mate. I know your pain. Uh. <laughs> a fucking A. I love the little, uh, uh, sorry, I just, I love the little title that has uh, actually put on here. It's really one of the best horror movies you've never seen. It's
0: it's true. It's it's such a sleeper film and it doesn't get talked about ever. I mean, you can go on YouTube and it's barely, barely touched on ever. Mm. And it's it's quite a travesty because I feel like this film needs a lot more of attention because it has some really unique and fun scenes in it. And the story is just so cool, especially for a time that, was flooded with some really uh, meh ideas for mm-hmm. slasher films, because this is kind of the the birth of the
2: genre. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hadn't heard of it at all until you guys told me about it to watch this. Like, I just never heard of it before. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's
0: actually, uh, and we'll probably end up talking about, Brody probably has notes about the other films that Michael
1: had uh, planned. Ah, uh, actually, I do not. Oh, okay. But, well, actually, I might have. Sorry, I might have. But- once we go through the notes, and if I haven't elaborated on it, we will talk. Yeah,
0: so uh, he also did a film called Strange Invaders, which uh, mm-hmm. who has that Twilight Time has a release of. And that film is pretty fucking cool. It has a couple of the same actors in it, a lot of the same crew. It's really fucking fun. It's a nice little sci-fi movie. And he was supposed Dude. to make a third film that was supposed to make it a strange trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed that to be a spy well. thriller type film, but that never got oh, really? made sadly. Yeah. It was like the adventures of something
2: strange. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to probably look at strange invaders as well. I see here. It's notably a tribute to invasion of the body snatchers, which yes. I absolutely love that movie. So yeah, I'll have to,
1: I'll have to watch what, the sequel. I even felt like this was a little bit of a fucking trope to that. A little invasion bit. of The body snatchers in that sense.
2: I kind of got that feeling when it revealed the, uh, Oliver in the uh, the second kill scene I revealed yeah. it was Oliver, and I was like, ah, oh, okay. And then, <laughs> We're going here with it, I see. And like I said in last episode, uh, Nancy
0: Allen's in Strange Invaders, like she's in uh, Dressed to Kill. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm trying to look up the, the name of that third film because he, oh, The Adventures of Philip Strange would have been the third okay. film in the trilogy. Yeah. Brody and I uh, actually have made jokes about writing that film and actually making
3: it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you made that joke in one of the other episodes. Yeah. Really, you're like,
0: we got to do it. <laughs> it was supposed to be a war, war, World War Two spy thriller with science fiction elements. Yeah. And it was supposed to be the same actors as the last ones. Yes. yeah. Would I would cool. watch the hell out of that. Yeah.
2: We were just talking movie. about Overlord on the last one. <laughs> Literally, he would have made his horror movie, right. his
0: sci-fi movie and his war movie. Like, boom, we're done. Beautiful. And he would have touched on like every genre within everything. So, cuz this movie has comedic elements that are fucking hilarious that are just <laughs> <Yeah>. absolutely <laughs> yeah. so fucking funny. So guys, uh let's talk some uh, behind the scenes stuff. Brody, what do you got, buddy?
1: Well, uh director, writer and producer Bill Condon, uh who was notably known for Chicago and Dream Girls, uh portrays the very first victim in this film. And in an interview with actor Dan Shaw, he states that he was a little camera nerd and he was always in Laughlin's ear on set to which you knew who the genius really was. Laughlin, did we settle on the name? Is it Laughlin?
2: Yeah, I think it's Laughlin.
1: Laughlin. Uh, is a great producer, a wonderful raconteur, and a delicious human being, but he was smart enough to have this little genius in his ear. They went on to do Strange Invaders together, to which I also did, and joined Laughlin back in New Zealand for his film Mesmerize.
0: featuring Jodie Foster
2: and John Lithgow. Yeah, I saw that. I was surprised I hadn't really I heard, had heard of that, that one either. Whenever I was looking through the uh, additional, just the
0: the okay, stuff so they on. that movie's rated PG, right? But the the plot makes it seem like it's not.
2: I actually didn't read what the plot was. Okay. I just saw Jodie Foster and John Lithgow on the cover. Was like, oh damn, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep Looks
1: going. like an erotic thriller.
2: Exactly, and it is. It is, but for some reason, it it's rated PG. Yeah. Oh, but it's like a 1985 PG, mm. right? Uh, so it's, it's like is. PG 13 now, probably oh, somewhere along Yeah. That. Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Huh. Uh, in the director's audio commentary, uh. For the Glass Doll Films Blu-ray of Dead Kids. Director Michael Laughlin talks about getting the film off the ground. Well, I had known the Englishman John Daly and had done the wonderful movie platoon. So sorry, who had done the wonderful movie platoon from Oliver Stone. So we went and saw him and he knew Tony someone out in Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> 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 um The planning came together pretty well, and then I had been an experienced producer slash director at the time, so the budget was about a million dollars, five weeks of shooting. By the way, I always tell people that you must remember that low-budget films like American, American Graffiti were shot in 28 nights, and that's the guy to make making a pretty damn good movie in 30 days. Fair enough. When huh? yeah, when asked if he had to have a pre- predominantly New Zealand uh crew, apart from the department heads that they flew over from America, Laughlin states, well, that's very interesting. In those days of New Zealand, it wasn't really a sophisticated uh case back then as it's what it is today. It was v- it was very left wing and not communist. I dare say that should be communistics or something. If that's a word. <laughs> Just making shit up. Uh, they weren't they were not crazy about the idea of using New Zealand as the Midwest of America like it felt to them saying what right do you have to make that leap. So we had a few meetings and everything went fine but they really had not arrived at the idea that New Zealand could be a center for films. We hired a couple of actors and hired some crew but most of them came from Australia. We did a lot of things that were necessarily uh and necessary and everyone adored New Zealand. I mean, it's an adorable place in every way. I will just point out it was really hard to um, listen to the audio commentary on this Blu-ray. And when you're listening to Michael talk, he really hum- ums and has and pauses a lot. So it was, yeah, it's really... So he's a director and a public I'm, speaker. Yeah, if, if I'm really fucking butchering this, you'll know why in that sense. I'll just blame him. Fuck <laughs> 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 when, when asked about the infamous party scene and how it came to be director McLaughlin had this to say now this was all Bill Condon's idea and then I shot it of course but he worked on the choreography and basically set the whole thing up of course he basically proposed that we should put in a musical number in this slasher film then we found the music and choreo- choreographer Bill worked with them and came up with a Halloween costume with all the Halloween costume ideas for each character basically dressed as a TV character from the past but I love the way how it's shot I knew all the mistakes that people generally make when making musical numbers, which is basically a lot of cuts in the edit. I mean, when they are dancing, They basically do not want the camera to cut. So Bill has a wide range in taste, I would say, in a lot of different genres and and, and an appreciation for those genres. It speaks for itself. About five whole days from shooting the very first scene of the film, special makeup effects artist Craig Reardon was given the opportunity to make his name known by working on the film due to Tom Berman, pulling out, and he also pulled out due to working on two upcoming films, Cat People and The Beast Within. So Reardon states he had just got the life mask and said that He could not do it, but thought that I might be interested in doing it because he was going to turn it down due to working on these films. Being a young guy, I immediately said, yes, no worries, I'll do it. So I took the life mask, took it home with me, and literally had to hit the ground running. I mean, I literally had to get this done, and a guy with his eyes carved out done, and then head over to New Zealand.
2: Fucking A. Fucking A. (laughs) I got to catch my bus.
1: I got to get to New (laughs) Zealand. Talking about his first day on set and also having complications with the needle for the infamous uh, needle to the ice cream, Uh, Craig Reardon uh, is quoted that, I had left Los Angeles in the afternoon stopped off in Fiji, then headed to New Zealand. I arrived basically inside of myself a day later, but it's morning. So I'm, I'm like, just show me the hotel room and I'll be fine tomorrow. Nope. They picked me up at the airport, took me to the set, and said, We want you to meet everybody. So I thought I'd, I'd be nice and do that. I get there, and they say that they're shooting the needle to the eye scene today. Have you got that ready? It was literally in a few hours. So obviously, I didn't have that ready at all. Did you get him? <laughs> I got the little fucker. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: That's <laughs> dated
1: fuck. Um, so, I, so I looked in this box that Tom Berman had sent me and I pulled out a gelatin arm, a glass syringe with no needle and what looks like a nail. Uh-oh, I am in trouble here. So I got the glass syringe and got an actual needle for it. However, I also needed to see a selection of color plastic gels that change over the lighting for scenes. So first of all, I grinded down the tip of the needle on the sidewalk's concrete until it was flat. Secondly, I needed the needle to have this color substance in it, so I rolled up some of the color gel paper into the syringe, followed by another clear piece of gel paper, and as you push it down, it looks like the liquid goes into the actor's eye due to the fact of the whole plunger scenario. Thirdly, I said to the director, to frame the shot, as we say in the film, because when he moves his head out of the shot after the injection, I can squirt him in the eye with blood dye, and he can go back into frame with blood with the blood tear streaming down his face. It was simple and effective, then they took me back to the hotel hotel room where I slept end, endlessly for hours.
2: can't blame him that's interesting to see how that was done. He's a trooper. I'm about to say, as <laughs> hard as it is for me to watch that scene, it was well done. That's cool. It's good stuff.
1: Yeah. When Dead Kids opened in New York on a whopping 77 screens on October 16th, 1981, it was under the title Strange Behavior. The title change was brought about after an American shooting occurred not long before the film was due to open. <laughs> in which a number of young kids were victims. The original title was kept when the film made its Australian debut on the Sydney driving circuit in late March of nineteen eighty two, before moving to the Forum Theatre in Melbourne for two weeks from june twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two, paired with the nineteen eighty horror film The Hearst, starring Trish Van DeVere and Joseph Cotton.
0: Ah, old Joe hmm. Cotton. Yep.
1: <laughs> to tie it, to- <laughs> yeah i know we go way back Uh. (laughs) to tie in with the film a paperback novelization was published in the u.s by ace charter under the title school days though credited to robert hughes the book was not authored by the famed australian art critic but was a pseudonym for michael laughlin himself
0: shit fucking a
1: dead kids slash stranger behavior was received well enough and made enough money to prompt Laughlin to expand the set into a trilogy of films that would each play homage to science fiction films of the 1950s in their own way.
0: Fucking A. And it sure did. Strange Invaders is also a gem. Fucking
1: A. And I still need to say that. I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you haven't seen that either? I was about to say I'm about to start
2: actually looking for where I can watch that now. <laughs> you have to buy the Twilight Time DVD uh Blu-ray.
0: Uh, screen archives own it's own uh Twilight Time now. Twilight Time. Okay. It's
2: like twenty bucks I paid. Oh yeah, no, I can see, oh wow, it's anywhere from like 15 to 40 on eBay for some reason. Well, it's like 50 to a fucking 100 down here.
1: It's rare AF. Ugh. Damn. Well, when asked if would ever do another horror film in the future, Laughlin states I would love to do the equivalent of Rear Window because to me it's a perfect film and incredibly voyeuristic. As it's told from the point of view of Jimmy Stewart looking across the street from his apartment and of course anything like psycho, but I wrote a romantic comedy called The Worst Kind of Man and might come to LA and try to set that up, but who knows? I could end up talking myself out of it. Fucking A. Hmm. Slick Nick, you want to take this bad boy away? Take it sure
2: away! Thing. <laughs> uh, so Laughlin, apparently looking back on the film said, I definitely have fond memories of this film, especially being my first, the whole experience of it, everyone having dinner together every night. And Louise Fletcher would have ha- uh, would have dinner with us during the evenings. The whole thing was completely magical. And I think Michael Murphy was having a, having an affair at the time, which was definitely bad for him on his behalf. Overall, we were incredibly lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So one of the things that I found, uh, the mask worn by Oliver uh, whenever he kills Waldo at the pool party uh, is a mask of Swedish professional wrestler and actor Tor Johnson. Uh, yes. He acted in. Yeah. yep uh, He acted in many of those 50s pulp fiction horror movies uh, that Strange Behavior Dead Kids pays homage to, uh, including playing Inspector Clay in Plan 9 from Outer Space, often hailed as the worst film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one with the monkey? Uh, yeah, I think so. OK. Um, as well as the two other films in the so-called Kelton trilogy, uh, Bride of the Monster and Night of the Ghouls, where he plays a tertiary villain named Lobo, big giant lumbering monster man Uh, um it it is not the one with the monkey it's not the one with the monkey it's it's not the one with the monkey but it's it's a pretty
0: shit one and tor johnson mask actually looks like tor johnson yeah this mask masking huh uh fuck what is it brody we talked about this
1: we've done an episode of it on For for this show exploitation for lights camera exploitation this mask He's in, in Mad Max.
2: Yeah. Oh. That's oh shit. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Damn. Okay man i wish i would remembered that when i was writing my notes uh so another thing that i found uh similar to another uh, episode that we did uh similar to how frank hennenlotter while he was working on another previous lce episode feature basket case had uh just huge amounts of jolt cola on set was drinking it all the time was giving it to all the crew to the point where i believe the lead actor in his interview was like i got so fucking sick of jolt cola after we made that damn movie uh all of the coca-cola throughout the film is because of director Michael uh, Michael Laughlin drinking it constantly and apparently being completely obsessed with it uh, during the course of this so how his blood is still pumping through his veins apparently is beyond me uh- <laughs> 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 um, and then going to the uh, production in New Zealand um, so despite the film uh, as we've said before it, it was pr- primarily filmed in New Zealand Australia um, it was originally set to be filmed in Illinois uh, director or er, writer sorry (laughs) bill condon is originally from uh rural illinois suburban illinois and and set uh, all of it there, wanted it filmed there and everything. But while looking around for suitable locations, they couldn't find anything they thought seemed authentic as a small American town. Uh, and so they ended up going to New Zealand to film an authentic small American town. There um, yeah, they did pretty well in an interview. I'm going to talk about here in a second, uh, but one of the lines I didn't put in here, uh, the reviewer stated that it does, it does look like Ohio is probably right around the corner, like out of all the locations they picked. So they did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, also, in mentioning of uh, Tangerine Dream working on this as well as risky bid, uh, as well as risky business, risky
0: business. What are you, uh, Dusty Business.
2: I can't. <laughs> <talk>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, in risky business, which uh, was released two years after uh, Strange Behavior slash Dead Kids. Tom Cruise's character, Joel, drives a car with the exact same Illinois license plate and the same license plate number as Waldo's Fire- or Thunderbird in this him? movie. And I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be a direct reference or if it was a coincidence. The only people that I could find that worked on both movies were... Was Tangerine Dream doing the music for both of them? Which I don't know if that would be a direct reference. Tangerine Dream did so much music for so many 80s movies. They're the inspiration for all of the music behind like, Tanger Things. Did
0: you check the art department?
2: Um, I, I checked Crew. I checked collaborations for Crew and whatever was going to pop up for both movies. And it only came up with Tangerine Dream. Interesting. I don't think the music, though, is going to have any influence on a uh, prop department. Right. Well, I just figured, you know, maybe since they're at least familiar with each other, possibly, and having some Start of the. Start sending
0: emails. It. Figure out the case. The <laughs> How can I
3: get in
2: there? My, uh, yeah. <laughs> Investigative journalism. I'm here to call about Ricky Bidnid, baby. <laughs> talk about the music department. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then the uh, the last thing that I had uh, that the uh, the review that I mentioned from earlier. Uh, so the the sort of mixed to positive reviews that I could kind of find for it. Um, specifically, this one was uh, from Janet Maslin of the New York Times, and this was the one that I mentioned at the top of the show about uh, that she released the day that it came out. Um, she wrote that Strange Behavior is. Too frequently clumsy to be an unqualified success, but it's certainly a refreshing departure from the mass-produced Hollywood fare of the moment. Harkening to what you said earlier about the just mass-produced, meh stories of early 80s slasher movies around this point. Um, so she goes on to say uh, it has just enough of the unexpected to hold an audience's interest mm. from Laughlin's unlikely camera movements to the punk vitality of his obligatory party scene. Uh, one of the other things, but I didn't put it on here. I don't know why I didn't. But uh, she did kind of harp on him a little bit for not using Louise Fletcher enough, given her credibility at this time. As, I mean, she's fucking Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> Like um, but yeah, I have just kind of that was what I was able to find uh, from some of the early reviews that came out for it as well. I just thought a lot of that was pretty interesting that she and UTj both touched upon the uh story being unique and well done for but at the, the end of the day, I there's heard. only one one review that matters the most,
0: and that's the one we're doing right now, so let's hey. talk about
3: it. <laughs>
0: Favorite performance, boys. I really like the dad. I think the dad just really delivers an extremely effective performance, especially near the climax of the film, whenever he's in like the mad scientist college area. I think that that's super fucking rad. You can definitely see his anger and frustration come out during that scene. And I think his dialogue with his like assistant type dude is super quirky, super funny at times. And I just think it's super effective. And uh, from this film, I think that he's like the one
1: character that really sticks with me, especially his performance. Brody, yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. But uh, well, originally I did have him as my uh, favourite performance, but then the more that I actually thought about it, you know, like obviously Dan Shaw as Pete. I mean, he's just got that lovable, uh, char- characteristics about him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's when we see him in that killer state of mind, he's actually he's actually pretty goddamn sinister. I mean especially in that last act between him and his father, you, the emotionalist face pretty much says it all. Um, You know, definitely hits the nail on there.
0: I've never been more scared of Billy the Kid in my life other than that. Yeah. He,
1: <laughs> yeah. He he helps, he helps bring that performance to life and it drives it home. Um, But yeah, it's, you would actually think that him and his dad were like a real life. Yeah. Like father and son. And that's what I love how they, uh, Play with that in this. Film.
0: He's in the beginning of of Strange Invaders. The father the man is no the 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 boy. Oh, Pete is. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, he's only he's driving a car or something at the beginning of Strange Invaders.
2: Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: little little cameo.
2: Yep, nice. Yeah, um, I ended up uh, also picking John Brady, the dad. Uh, I really liked sort of the flip of kind of going from not so much incompetent, but just sort of jaded kind of cop and, you know, not really taking the connections between the murders and everything, particularly seriously until he gets kind of like halfway through. And he's like, all right, something's going on to the climax where he knows his own kid is now in the crosshairs of this and he's got it figured out in his head and he's pissed and ready to go and just breaking into the college, knocking windows out with a shotgun. It was awesome. Uh, And then going from that to like the shock of when he realizes. Pete's been stuck with the needle and the what did they do to you kid I just I loved it yeah. uh, I loved his performance I thought he was great favorite set piece the college
0: the college and the town the town is super fucking realistic and I love the college I think the, once you get inside the interiors are fucking cool very retro themed especially in the houses too like I said the the, the town itself is really cool only because it really allows you to submerse yourself in this time period and this is almost this town that they created themselves
1: it's it's really fucking rad Brody yeah, um, I'd have to agree with like the college and the hospital part mm-hmm. of that, all that stuff. Like um and I think it's all due to like the wall structures and the lighting. Yeah. Uh, it just it feels very futuristic, uh, especially for a 1981 film. Uh, and I will point out, like the scene near the end, you know, it, um, it showcases a very simple, broad, and open room between two people. I mean, one a killer, one his father, but it just isolates them and giving us, like, the viewer a visual sense of like fear and tension in that sense. And they really play on that extremely well. But like you said, I really. There wasn't anything like even the graveyard, it's a simple graveyard, uh-huh. and I found that effective as well. They're um, they're believable yeah, the locations, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, um, even the town, like I, I was watching the town, it just reminds me of back home, like that's pretty much like a town I grew up in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, everything about this film, on uh, location wise. It's fucking perfecto.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't have much of a different point at all, really, to make about it. Um, I did enjoy sort of the contrast, the interplay between the town itself uh, seeming to be a little bit in the past versus the college being, you know, more futuristic, like you said, as well. And it just came off as, as futuristic and kind of big and open spaces, yet super oppressive at the same time. Uh, just every time they're in the hallways or just specifically in the lab with the big orange blast door and everything that you have to go through to get in there. I, I really just enjoyed the laboratory. I think specifically in the college uh, was probably my favorite area.
1: Yep. Favorite scene or shot. I would have to go with uh, the whole bathroom scene where uh, that woman finds her son. Uh, Brutal. His name's Timothy. Brutal. Yeah. Being disbanded oh, by a uh, no
2: woman. It's not her son. It's uh, she's, she's the housekeeper. So this was one thing that I noticed in that Janet Maslin uh, review is she noticed she was talking about, yeah. And all the characters and we get this one housekeeper who seems to apparently work for every single family in the town.
1: Mm. She's always
2: present. Yeah, it's the housekeeper that finds him.
1: Yeah, that's that scene, like it that's pretty fucking gnarly. Like after she sees the body there lying in the bath, hacking off the arm. Um and even like when when she phones the police and you know, she get yeah, gets stabbed and having her throat slashed, it's very dirty right, gritty ben mm-hmm. yeah like i i love saying that shit this movie does not hold back on the
0: stabbing this movie does not hold back on the it violence is. uh right from the get-go we see a brother stabbed to death i want to say it was a brother or something some, something like that or a, it was a dude okay it was a dude he, stabbed was to stabbed oh, it was the mayor's son i was the mayor's son do we ever determine who
1: kills him i don't think so Um, The very first killer movie. Yeah. That's actually Bill Condon.
2: Right. Yeah. That plays Brian. But in the movie itself, like the character who played. Who killed. Yeah. Who killed Brian. I don't think that was revealed because we don't get the reveal that Oliver's a part of it until after Waldo dies. And then he gets questioned after that. And then it's the girl that kills Timothy for the bathroom. So Yeah. So it's never really revealed. revealed. You know,
0: and that's it. That's the whole point of this film is like there's just the little details that just make it a little extra cool, like whenever he's chasing the the girl who can't swim into the pool and he realizes that she can't swim. So he just like, fuck, I'll cut the one thing she's holding on and let her fucking drown. Like he's just, he's rad as fuck. Like everything, like, like he said, Bill Condon was whispering in his ear. And I guarantee it's those little things like that that just take it out to that extra level that make things stand out. Now, best scene, I do want to mention like every interaction between the father and his like assistant is super fucking hilarious, especially when they're looking for the idea identity of the uh the the other killer the female killer Mm -hmm. it is so fucking hilarious some of the dialogue scenes
2: we (laughs) see between some of them (laughs) there you go two thousand girls what are you gonna do with it we look for the fat ones
0: (laughs) 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 slams hand
2: down we look for the fat
3: ones
2: (laughs) (laughs) i think i think my favorite scene was probably the reveal uh at the end that dr lasange was still alive yeah that whole time that was probably my favorite And, and just the uh yeah, the, the I'd have to agree with you. That that scene is just fucking face. rad seeing him rise
0: from the fucking ground and then peel off his face.
2: It's fucking cool. You know, so good. Yeah. One thing also you might like to know, you probably already know, but that I I found as well, uh, was he was originally supposed to be played by somebody else. Was he? A one a one Mr. uh Klaus Kinski. I'm not doing this! Fuck him! another one that's shit <laughs> <laughs> thought you guys might like to know that if you didn't already I yeah. had to make sure because I, I had to make sure because I knew if I brought it up you'd play the sound Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> thoughts on story
0: oh wait no favorite effect slash death mm.
1: Um, I I really love that yeah the opening scene that silhouette stabbing at the start so cinematic so cool It Mm -hmm. looks so fucking gross. and then we come full circle to a scarecrow in a cornfield
0: with the eyes cut out
1: yeah with the eyes cut out and he's just he's stuffed full of straw and even the dried up tears of blood like that's on the face um, look
0: how giddy he he, he gets anytime he talks about scarecrows
1: (laughs) (laughs) and no I do not have Scarecrow fetish to all you listeners. I just really like scarecrow slasher. So. Um, but yeah, um, I was actually hoping uh, McLaughlin would talk about that scene in the audio commentary, bit. unfortunately, he does not. He talks about something else. Don't ask me what it was. I zoned out. Um, not Scarecrow. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't about Scarecrow. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah no it, it's a fucking cool shot i mean how yeah. sinister does it look that like it's it's revealed in the daytime it, it looks fucking scary i don't know it, it it definitely paid off for me
0: i love yeah. the needle in the eye okay we got to talk about that okay you'll love the needle in the eye fucking rad but like i said i really love the fucking stabbing of the of the the dude at the beginning and then the chase to the party and everyone's inside yeah. fucking having a good old time and she's outside drowning
2: oh you, you mean waldo's <laughs> yeah. yeah you mean waldo's death waldo getting pinned Cushioned by his car, that was what I was going to pick because yeah. that was so brutal. They do not hold back on that one. Like for Brian's death at the beginning, you know, there's it is a little bit, it is silhouetted and it's off screen, but you get a lot of audio for it. Mm-hmm. Waldo's is a little bit more in your face, and his head just literally getting stabbed from every door? angle. That I didn't notice that at first when he was getting in the car, but when he gets out and she's sitting there revving it up for him, I was sitting there. Like, Where the fucking car door go? <laughs> you know, whenever things are
0: like it was Australia, so. Maybe that's just like a normal thing.
1: It probably was back then. (laughs) Just no doors. (laughs) Thoughts on story? I love it for a slasher film. Uh, Overall, anything about this film I fucking love. Um, You know, I I found it's not only a horror movie. It's got that science fiction element in Mm -hmm. there as well. Um, And I I don't really want to compare this to the film, but I just think it's got subtle hints from it. And that is body snatches in its own different and unique way. Um, It's a different spin on that body control aspect. And I feel that this film actually helped inspire uh, some futuristic horror films uh, including Strange Behaviour hence the title and uh, The Faculty. I feel like this film may have inspired them more so Strange Behaviour because it's the town's township that's actually being um taken over i haven't seen that fucking movie in forever have you have you seen it recently seen no, what have you ever seen it at all strange behavior i think it was like a late 90s horror film
2: a newer one uh, i don't believe i have i have seen the faculty though i can i can get behind you on that one yeah 94? 98. Oh, 1998. Disturbing Behavior.
0: Oh, well, I fucked that up. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Featuring James Marsden and Katie Holmes. That's correct. Okay. Disturbing Behavior from 1998. Shout Factory has a release of it. Nice. Yeah. Strange Behavior is the name of this movie, Brody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> some reference there somewhere fucking somewhere
2: somewhere <laughs> yeah, yeah no i mean i i definitely enjoy that that 50s b movie well this segues into four, our next I one thought.
0: which is impact and takeaways mm-hmm. yeah nick you were talking about it
2: yeah um i'll say i i definitely uh enjoy that sort of 50s b movie pulp fictiony horror kind of Uh, aspect to it. I I really like that they took what was for the time a newer concept and added that into it. Because, I mean, slasher movies have been out since the 70s, but, you know, they're picking up steam uh, towards the early 80s, Look as noted earlier, right. mass-produced. <laughs> <it right. laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, they were at that point taking a newer concept. They're like, you know, this has been done. It's been done well, but maybe we could take this and something that was done well 30 years ago now at this point, kind of meld them together and see where we go from there. And I think it really helped. Uh, I think a lot of the impact for it um, was getting people to be more experimental with with those horror movies, Um, not even just directly with the style of the plot itself, with the sort of invasion of the body snatchers, people getting slowly taken over, the, the town slowly revealing itself as evil or something along that, but just kind of the idea of taking different concepts from horror movies and melding them together. Like, I could easily see this movie existing, leading to the creation of like Heaven in the Woods, like something like that, um, it is kind of what I sort of took away from it and kind of saw from the impact. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it just it helped me get me get into it because I really like that old the '50s B movie, almost purposefully just slogged out on some masterfully crafted on some of the others. Uh, you know, for every rear rear window, you get the claw. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was about uh, everything I kind of got out of it. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good. Balance
0: of both genres, and it just—it's memorable. It's a memorable film, and I—it's—it's it's a film that I hold near and dear to my heart. And like you said, it, it clearly has impacted films that would come after it, whether they say so or not. It's—it's it's a pretty rad little film, and I'm happy that we were able to to talk about it on this show and finish off our first season with with a movie like this. It's—it's it's really rad. I think that the it, the fact that this movie doesn't get talked about, like I said at the top of the show, is just a, a pure atrocity because it needs to be talked about more. So let's. Rate this bad boy. How many I injecting mad scientists out of five? Do we give this,
1: Brody? Well, 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 well. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a four point five. I'm going to give it a four point five. Slick Nick,
2: uh, I was going to give it a three point nine.
1: I will give it a
0: four point two five. And that is a lights camera exploitation score of uh, 4.2 out of 5 for 1981's Dead Kids, aka Strange Behavior, or vice versa. However, you wanna take it. So that means it's time for season two's preview. We will now reveal one of our picks for the season two preview. I will say Toxic Zombies from 1980. Brody, what do you have?
1: Well, I might have to say the King of New York. Okay, in select Nick we're going to talk about shaft
0: Ooh, the OG the OG (laughs) yes yes okay expect that to return in about four weeks time we will be giving you some bonus episodes in season two so stay tuned for that we have discussed worked it out and we will get those to you soon so until we see you guys next time thank you for tuning in to season one of lights camera exploitation thank you for supporting the show thank you for sharing episodes. And until next season, this is your host with The Motherfucking Most signing off.
1: This is your doppelganger, kanga banger, all the way from motherfucking down under saying, We'll catch you next season, Mother Lickers. You got Nick. <laughs> it's
2: like Nick saying, I want to miss you guys. <laughs> See you in a month, bitches.